We've all seen the videos. Dozens of cop cars pulling up to a shopping mall in Miami, people running in terror, blurry figures on the screen, an alien invasion covered up by the government and the media. Here's how NBC News reported on it. Quote, on Monday, a group of roughly 50 teenagers caused a riot at Bayside Marketplace, an outdoor mall roughly five miles from South Beach, according to the Miami Police Department. The teens were sitting off fireworks, which led to a panic as some assumed there was a shooting, said Miami Police Department Public Information Officer Michael Vega. Four teens were arrested. Huh. They expect us to believe that? Hmm? Here's what I want to know. What really happened? I'll tell you what I think really happened at that shopping mall in Miami. I think that what really happened is that on Monday, a group of roughly 50 teenagers caused a riot at Bayside Marketplace, an outdoor mall roughly five miles from South Beach, according to the Miami Police Department. The teens, I believe, were setting off fireworks, which led to a panic as some assumed there was a shooting, just like the Miami Police Department says. Four teens, I believe, were arrested. If 50 young people start robbing stores, attacking people, setting off explosives indoors, I should hope that a lot of cops would show up. The reason that these sorts of crimes are spiking right now is precisely because our political leaders keep attacking the police and preventing them from doing their jobs. That's part of why we've got such disorder, such social breakdown, not just in a mall in Miami, but all throughout the country. The social breakdown seems clearest in the riots and the robberies and the street crime, but it has deeper roots. The breakdown of the family, the disintegration of the education system, the collapse of trust in our most basic civil institutions. It's all been happening for a while and it's getting worse and worse, but some people still can't believe it. Not here, they say, no, this can't really be happening. This is America. We are now more inclined to believe that aliens are invading than that America is becoming a third world country. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Whoopi Goldberg says that she is on a Jeffrey Epstein list, sort of, sort of. We'll get to what that means in just a second. First, though, I guess I should qualify my point in the opening. There is an alien invasion going on. It's not happening at the Bayside Mall in Miami. It's a little bit happening in Miami, but it's also happening in Texas and California and Arizona. And then because of airplanes, it's happening in New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C. It's not Martians. It is Guatemalans and Hondurans and Salvadorans and, well, not Salvadorans anymore because Nayib Bukele turned his country around. But a lot of places in Latin America are opening the floodgates and saying, hey, if you want to leave and go to America, Joe Biden's not going to stop you. There's a graph that went viral over the weekend. It shows illegal immigrant encounters by president. And what a lot of people are noticing, they find it striking, is that Obama and Trump had roughly the same number of encounters. It went down a little bit under Trump, but not all that much. In the first year of Trump, it went down pretty considerably when Trump had been signaling for months, over a year at that point, that he was going to build a big, beautiful wall and send all the illegal aliens back. And so illegal crossings dropped. Then 
the illegals and the coyotes and the cartels realized that Trump, even though he was president of the United States, couldn't actually enforce that policy. He was being totally undercut by his administration and the bureaucracy. So the numbers went back up again. It was pretty high. Under Obama, you're looking at 5 million encounters, 5,006,092 encounters. Under Trump, it was a little bit lower, but similar, 4,763,007 encounters. And then what about Biden? 12 million. More than double. Well over double what happened under Trump. More than double what happened under Obama. More than Obama and Trump put together. What's going on here? Biden wants illegal aliens to come into the country. In moments of candor, he has said as much. He's said things like, we're, we're not going to build a wall, surge to the border, you're a future dreamer, undocumented, wonderful Americans. But the message has been the same. Come over here. Even when there's a little wink and a nod, well, we're going to enforce the law <laughs> eventually, but no human being is illegal and you can just come process and you'll, you'll be brought back to court someday, maybe, I don't know, enjoy. He says, come to the country. Why? It's very, very simple. Immigrants vote Democrat. Not all immigrants. I hail on one side of my family from immigrants, and it's the Italians who kind of split 50-50. You get the Scalias, but you get the Pelosi's too. I'm not just talking about illegal aliens. I'm not just talking about people from Honduras or Guatemala or Mexico. I'm talking about all immigrants. You take immigrants as a whole, legal, illegal, they vote for Democrats. Uh, according to one survey from the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, all immigrants are twice as likely to identify as Democrats as as Republicans. And a lot of Republicans don't want to acknowledge this. They don't want to get down to the bare political reality of why the Democrats want mass migration, which is to, to fundamentally change the structure of our constitutional republic. Illegally, totally against the law, totally unconstitutional, but they, they, they realize that they've got an advantage and they think that the Republicans are so afraid of being unjustly called racists that we're not going to say anything about it. So that's the one side. You've got the cowardice from the Republicans who say, well, look, at the best, this is the, this is the best version of Republicans on immigration in the mainstream. They say, uh, we, we, we've got to stop this illegal immigration because it's, it's actually bad for everyone, including the illegal immigrants, and there's a lot of drugs coming across. And it's, but we want more legal immigration than ever. Even Donald Trump, the most immigration restrictionist president of my lifetime, said that. He said, we want, we want more immigration. We just, it's got to be legal immigration. But mass migration, including legal immigration, is a big part of the problem, especially when the federal government, starting under Barack Obama, can just wave the magic wand and turn the illegal immigrants into legal immigrants by declaration. No, no, they're no longer illegal. They're DACA. They're no longer illegal. They're dreamers. They're no longer illegal. They're going to have amnesty. Ronald Reagan gave them amnesty in the 1980s in exchange for what he thought were going to be concessions on border security. And guess what? The latter never happened. We have to be a little clearer on immigration. And we don't need to take the Democrats' premise. We don't need to say, oh, yeah, we're really racist. We just hate Guatemalans or something. You know, yeah, they don't. We, we prefer Nicaraguans. We don't like Guatemalans. And we don't, we like, um, I don't know, Liberians, but we don't like Ethiopians. Or No, it's none of that. We, I'm sure all these are great people, but a country has a right to determine who comes into it. And we 
have taken way too many people and we're having lots of trouble assimilating. We've known all the way back into antiquity, going back to Plato and beyond, that migration causes lots of problems in political communities. And so you, you can do it and you can bring people in. And in a way, you kind of have to bring some people in, but you've got to do it in a very, very intentional way because otherwise uh, you're going to cause all sorts of social disorder by mixing people who come from totally different traditions, who have totally conceptions of public life. And that's not just a problem for the ones who cross the border illegally. It's true of all the immigrants, okay? And so we want to take some of them in, we want to do it in a way that is conducive to the flourishing of the immigrants, yes, and of our country, and crucially here, of the good political party in our country, the relatively good political party. Because the Democrats know right now that that the, the more migration they get, the better it is for them in the long term. And So what do the Republicans do to, to respond to that? They either are cowardly and they don't say anything, or, and this might be worse, they engage in all sorts of happy talk. You get the line from Ronald Reagan, these Hispanic voters are just, they're Republicans, they just don't know it yet. Or, well, these, you know, you hear it today, or these once, in next election cycle, once the new migrants realize how corrupt and evil and racist and bigoted and terrible and mean the Democrats are, then they're all going to switch to be Republicans. And it just doesn't happen. We're not even just talking about the Hispanics. We're talking about all migrants. Are there lots of great immigrants who are conservative and patriotic and understand politics and have their heads screwed on right? And yeah, of course, there's a lot. But just as a matter of statistics, as a numbers game, immigration is a net benefit for Democrats at the levels that we're seeing today. And so we can either be cowardly and not talk about it, or we can engage in the happy talk and just pretend that next election cycle, magically, everything's going to turn around and all of the mass migration is going to redound to the benefit of conservatives. It's never happened before ever in all of history, but maybe it'll happen next time. Or we can speak bluntly and say, we like these people. We wish them well. We actually want some migrants to come into the country, but we've got to be very, very careful about it and not give the whole country away, not to the immigrants, but to the Democrats who are the ones who are actually pushing the policy because they know it helps them. We've got to protect our resources, all right? Our spiritual resources, our cultural resources. And in the case of your personal portfolio, your gold. That's why you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. As we head toward a presidential election in November, there's one thing you can be sure of. 2024 will be a tumultuous year. How will your hard-earned savings fare? You already see the impacts of inflation at the pump in the grocery store. How are you protecting your savings? Consider diversifying with gold from the Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer that is just gathering dust, call Birch Gold and they will help you convert it into an IRA in gold. You won't pay a penny out of pocket. They will simply convert that 401k into physical gold, which, unlike digital currency, can't be tampered with. Just text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, and the exclusive gold company of The Daily Wire for the past seven years, you can trust Birch Gold, too. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit. That is Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 and secure your savings now. Now, the question that, that is a follow-up to here's how we protect our elections from rigging and the importation of voters, the question that comes up is, 
do elections matter anymore anyway? We just had an anniversary a couple of days ago. What, what is today? Today's, today's the 8th, so that means that a couple of days ago was <clears throat> January 6th, the worst day in the history of this or any republic, the day that democracy almost vanished from the face of the earth. And what happened on January 6th? Well, it's a little controversial now. If you had asked people two or three years ago, they would have given you one answer. They might give you a different answer today. There is a poll that just came out from the Washington Post and University of Maryland, so not exactly right-wing sources, that say that since January 6, 2021, people have taken a decidedly dimmer view of the legitimacy of the Biden presidency. They've taken a dimmer view of the propaganda surrounding the supposed terror attack, insurrection, coup d'etat that took place on January 6th. Three groups were examined here on their evolving views of January 6th, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Every single group today is less likely to believe that the Biden election was legitimate. Every single one. It's most pronounced among the Republicans. Uh, but you see it even with the Democrats, too. Now, 91% of Democrats say Biden was legitimately elected. But two years ago, 94% said that. So 3% of Democrats now think that Joe Biden stole the 2020 election. I know it's only 3%. That's a, that's a big deal. When you've had nonstop propaganda and hearings from Democrats and a couple fake Republicans like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, when you've had the prosecutions now of Donald Trump over this, you, you've had a, a constant concerted media campaign to say, 2020 was the most safe and secure and wonderful election ever. Donald Trump is an evil traitor, insurrectionist, secessionist. If we ever let him even close to the levers of power again, the country is going to collapse. And 3% of Democrats hear that and they say, ah, nah, that's bogus. Nah, Biden probably did steal that election. You're right. For, for the Republicans, 39% say that uh, Joe Biden uh what was not legitimately elected. That that's down to uh down from 31%. Um or I'm sorry, 30 31% is down from 39%. 66% of independents say that Joe Biden was legitimately elected. That's down from 72%. That's a major, major collapse. The conclusion here is January 6th totally backfired. Why? Nobody believes it. It looks like theater. We have the security camera footage, which was finally released because Republicans took power in the House. And it shows, oh, hold on. The, the January 6thers weren't murdering cops. Actually, no, no cop was murdered in the, the political violence of, of January 6th. No one was murdered whatsoever other than one Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by a trigger-happy cop who faced no consequences. Actually, it turns out the horn hat guy didn't just kick in the door, guns a-blazing, and take over the, the floor of either chamber of, of Congress. Actually, he was escorted around by police. He was essentially given a private tour of the Capitol. Actually, 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 what we thought happened did not really happen. MSNBC takes that and breaks down crying. I'm going to try to get through this. Um, thank you for what you did three years ago today. Um, please tell me your thoughts um, on this third anniversary. <clears throat> um, we are uh, 
still in the midst of the the same fight that began uh, on January 6th, 2021. Same fight. Thank you. <gasps> on, on the third anniversary of this hallowed day, a day which will live in infamy, please tell us what happened. Because we haven't, <laughs> we haven't heard the truth about what, what happened uh, on MSNBC ever on any of the mainstream news outlets. We saw the truth on the security camera footage that we had to pry from their hands. What, on this, on this awful day? In recent history, five members of Congress were shot by Puerto Rican radical activists. In recent history, the leftist weather underground blew up part of the Capitol. In fact, part of the Capitol has been blown up like three or four times in American history in relatively recent memory. Not only was January 6th not the worst insurrection that ever took place at the Capitol in the United States, it wasn't even in the top eight. It wasn't, I don't think it was in the top 12. And people wake up to that, including some Democrats. When, when you overplay your hand, when uh, the Democrats think they can overplay their hand because they control all of the media and the universities and basically every center of power in the country. So they think, okay, there's no lie so large we can't tell it. But the truth does break out every now and again. They don't have complete and total hegemony. And, and so when, when people find out that they've been lied to, they start to question everything. They start to question whether that election was legitimate in the first place. And the fact that now people are significantly less likely to believe that the 2020 election was legitimate that's not my fault. That's not your fault. That's not the fault of the conspiracy theorists and the insurrectionists. That is squarely the fault of the liberals who lied to us. And because they lied about that, a lot of people think, huh, maybe they lied to us about the election too. Things are breaking down. The reason I bring all this stuff up is not even to talk about January 6th or Trump or 2020. or I, It's that the whole social order is breaking down. People see a riot at a shopping mall. They don't want to believe that there are riots at shopping malls. They'd rather believe aliens are invading from outer space. In a way, that's more comforting than just the sad, predictable decay of America as the greatest country in the history of the world begins to resemble the third world. There was a crazy story out of Alaska Airlines. It came out just yesterday. An Alaska Airlines flight was going from uh, Oregon to California. And it takes off. This is a 737 MAX 9. It's gaining altitude. I think it was about 16,000 feet. And the passengers hear a bang. They thought it was an explosion. And part of a part of a door, like part of the side of the plane just explodes. It just pops out. Some, some person's shirt is just ripped off of him. A little teddy bear goes flying out the window. And they need to make an emergency landing. Luckily, no one died. But you can see some of the pictures of it. It's crazy. It's not even just that a window popped out. It's like a whole little side of the plane pops out there. How does this kind of thing happen? Because forgetting about high philosophy and political ideology, we are no longer good at doing just the basic things to make a society run. If you've ever traveled in the third world, I was recently just in a communist state, I've, tra I've traveled to multiple communist states. One time I tried to travel to another one and I found out I was banned from that country. That's a story for another time. But I've traveled to 
more right-wing parts of the third world. I've traveled to communist parts of the third world. And the thing that strikes you about it, the, the distinguishing feature of these societies that are just really broken down and not functional, is that it's not really primarily about ideology. It's about, does the sewage run? It's about, do the social services work? It's about, can you trust that you're not going to be mugged when you walk outside? It's, it's that, can you trust that if I store my wealth in a certain place, I'm not going to lose all of my wealth? Can I trust that the airplanes are going to work? And it, lest you think I'm just making a mountain out of a molehill and this is an isolated incident, it's really not. There's a, a statistic that near run-ins between commercial planes, I'm not talking about little dinky private jets, I'm talking about commercial aircraft, near run-ins are up 25% over the past decade. If you've been to the airport recently, you know, delays, cancellations, they're way, way up. It's just, we're just kind of breaking down. You can't run a society on radical ideology for very long for two reasons. One, because if your ideology is contrary to human nature and reality, it's, it's uh, going to leave you uh, constantly frustrated by the chasm between your fantasies and the, the reality that we all live in. But, but two, if, if all we do is focus on this pie-in-the-sky crazy stuff, you learn about radical gender theory in school, and you hear all of these cockamamie theories— uh, and, and and the people who are indoctrinated into that are the ones who go and run the corporations and run the government. And run. The problem is they're not going to know any basic technical skills to keep the machine moving. When you don't keep the machine moving, it breaks down. Now, one way, if you want to keep yourself moving, you got to get a good night's sleep. That's why you got to check out Helix. Right now, go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. Helix is the gift that keeps on giving. In fact, I just set up Another bed in my house over the weekend for my eldest son. He's going to move from the crib to the bed. Guess what kind of mattress he's going to move on to? You guessed it, baby. A Helix mattress. Helix is now introducing their newest, highest-end collection, Helix Elite. Helix Elite harnesses years of extensive mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to check out the new collection today. Nervous about buying a mattress online? You don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, take their two-minute sleep quiz, find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will come right to your door for free, plus Helix has a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They will even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. The financing options and flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20%, 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Use code HELIXPARTNER2020. This is their best offer yet. It will not last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Speaking of basic things breaking down, this is a story from last week that I wanted to get to that I'll take a little time to do today because it doesn't seem like it relates, but I think it actually does. Kelly Clarkson has just come out and given marriage advice. Kelly Clarkson is recently divorced, so not great to get marriage advice probably from a recent divorcee. She says three things here that are totally wrong. <laughs> One, 
She says, love is not forever. Love is never forever. You know, you got to remember that going in. Two, you really want to make sure you're in a position where you don't need anything from your partner, okay? You don't want to be dependent on them. And three, you just got to go to therapy all the time. Therapy is really, really great. All three of those things are totally wrong. I've always known that love is hard. For me, love has always come with this elephant in the room of sadness. I've known love is not forever. I don't mean that to sound depressing, but I think we put a lot of pressure on that word. Sometimes love is looking at someone and going, this is not for you. This is not good for me. That's a hard thing to face, but when you do, I think you grow. You, yes, you grow very sad, but you don't, you don't grow in that you don't, you're not edified by that. You're not sanctified by that. You're usually, you're, you just left right back at square one and then you start it again. But as she said, she said, love is so sad to me because I know it's never going to actually go anywhere. We'll see how far along it gets, but then eventually one of us is going to pull the plug. That is not the way to look at it. That is the way of looking at love as a matter of emotion and caprice and individual preference. That is not how our society has traditionally viewed love. That's not how love actually works. Love is willing the good of the other person for that person's own sake. Love is an action that we performed. Love is something that we are commanded to do as Christians, if you are a Christian. Uh, but I think we're all commanded to do it, actually, by the God of the universe. Um, you have to do it even when you don't want to. You have to do it even when you just look at someone and you go, this is not good for you, this is not good for me. Yeah, let's just quit. No, you still have to do it. When you make a commitment to somebody, you just have to follow it out. And you, and not only do you have to follow it out in this this tedious way where it's just drudgery and, and, and difficult all day long. You need to figure out how to make it work and thrive. And if something's not working right, then you need to, to recognize that love is an objective thing outside of your own emotions and you need to do it. And if you are not perfectly willing the good of the other person for that person's own sake and vice versa, then work it out, figure it out. But otherwise you'll just be left with what she admits is just a, a big elephant in the room of sadness. If it's all just a negotiation and a gamble and, and based on individual choice rather than objective reality between the social animals, between human beings, then it's always going to flop. Second one, dating sucks. It's so awkward. I was single until I was like 30 and I forgot how really good at that I am. I told a friend that a potential partner would have to be an individual that brings their own life to the table without needing anything from me. It's far more romantic to say, I want you, but I don't need anything. <laughs> what? I'm really good right now. I'm having a good time. What are you talking about? This is total millennial cope. I don't mean to be too harsh on Kelly Clarkson here, but it's a teachable moment and she's saying things that are just completely insane. I think part of the reason that millennials in particular are having trouble getting married is that people, sometimes we harden a little bit. We ossify a little bit, okay? When you're young, you know, you're really malleable. You try on different personalities. You try out different ideas. You, you're, you're a sponge. You, you learn new words and behaviors. It's easier to learn a foreign language, for example. As you get older, you kind of ossify a little bit and harden. So if you're, a little, if you're a little clump of putty, you're 15 years old, you're a little clump of putty, you got your 15-year-old girlfriend, she's a little clump of putty, and you're all just a little putty and you get smooshed together, and then you start to harden over time. You're going to harden into shape with one another. If you're your regular clumps of putty and you're totally separate and individual and you just remain totally alone, you're going to harden into your own shapes. And it's going to be a lot harder to smash you two together. Okay, there's going to be little gaps. There's going to be little air pockets. It's got little parts are going to break off. It's going to be difficult. I'm not saying it can't happen. I know plenty of friends 
who've gotten married, not just in their 30s, which is now the norm, but 40s, 50s. It can happen. It's a, it's a fallen world, and we do what we can. But it's going to be a lot easier. You don't want someone who is totally, fully formed with all of their own tastes, preferences, beliefs, behaviors, every, and then you have exactly the same when it comes to your tastes, preferences, behaviors, whatever, and you're just going to mash them up in a kind of a negotiated partnership. You want to grow together is what you want. You want you, your wife to be a, a part of your flesh, okay? A, another another part of you. And you're going to develop those things together. Not you, you want dependence. You want to share a bank account. You want to be together a lot. You want to do that. Otherwise, it's going to be like an, you're running an accounting firm and you've got to have board meetings every week to decide basic questions. Third one, she goes, I'm taking my power back. That sounds very therapy, but that's because I love therapy. And I think it's important to have these, those tools to navigate your life and relationships. How many people that you know who, who are constantly in therapy are happy? Not very many, probably. Now you might say, well, yeah, that's why they're in therapy. Okay. How many people who are in therapy for a really long time, seem to get better. Very few. I'm not saying it can't happen. It does happen. Drew Clavin, he says he's the one guy ever in history who got cured by a therapist. And then he stopped going to the therapist because he got better. I know people who go to therapists for years, decades. They only ever seem to get worse. In some cases, they just use the therapist as a drug dealer, you know, a psychiatrist, okay, get me more depression pills or something. But in, in some cases, it, it's a better form of therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy or some kind of talk therapy, working through problems. But even then, a, a therapist is only as good as the premises he, he brings to it, right? If a therapist starts with the premise that there is no God, there is no soul, <laughs> you're just a bag of chemicals, the only purpose in life is to, to amass pleasure, and we're going to look at the world through the, the viewpoint of hedonistic utilitarianism, okay, you know, I, I don't think that's conducive to human flourishing. If your therapist comes in and is a Christian and recognizes that you do have a soul and that life is about more than just feeling pleasure and doesn't believe that marriage is dissoluble and doesn't believe all this nonsense that Kelly Clarkson's been saying, then you're probably going to have a better therapist. But which is it? We just, because we live in such a uh, decadent and uh, philosophically and theologically shallow society, it's not that we got rid of our priests. It's just that we anoint new people to be our priests. You can never get rid of the priests. There is a priestly class in every society ever throughout all of human history. Every little no, no two-bit tribe in Papua New Guinea has some kind of a priest class. That's something that human life demands. We deny it. We say we killed all our priests. We oh, the, the society will only flourish when we strangle the last king with the entrails of the last priest. You know, all this kind of craziness that came out of the Enlightenment and the French Revolution. And all. But it's not true. There's always going to be priests. There's this human need and this, this exercise of power is always going to be there. It's just going to move around. And we have uh, anointed therapists with a lot of that prestige from the priestly class. But what if they're totally wrong? What if, what if they're not up to the job? What if even they, they're very well-intentioned, but they don't have really solid thoughts on theology, ontology, anthropology? What happens then? You get a ton of confusion and you get a bunch of feel-good, you know, slogans that you could buy on one of those signs they sell at TJ Maxx, you know, and the, and the, the highest moral 
theological maxim that you ever hear is live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love is fine to spruce up, you know, a, a powder room. It's not fine to live your life by. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't interpret itself. It, and it can lead you down this path of, yeah, just do whatever feels good in the moment. Thank you, therapist. See you next time. Really, really bad advice, Kelly Clarkson. I have a soft spot for her, but that's terrible advice. Speaking of women in show business, Whoopi Goldberg has just come out to put a rest to the rumors. She says, yes, there is a Jeffrey Epstein list floating around. And yes, she's on it. But that's not the whole story. Just because your name is on the documents doesn't mean that you have done anything criminally irresponsible or illegal or civilly irresponsible. Or that you were a client. Or that you were a client. And so being named in this suit does not equate to being accused of wrongdoing. And I think that is extremely important because conspiracy theorists seem to not understand or enjoy facts. Yes. These are the facts. Yes. Let let, let me bring that up. The conspiracy (laughs) theory folks. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know... I have to explain because there was there was a fake list. Yeah. And I'm on it. <laughs> so you 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 were on the island? I was apparently, I, I don't know. I they said I was on the island. They said I'm and I'm like, I don't go anywhere. <laughs> if the story was about a bus, if, yeah. if, if, if so, you want to believe yeah, Maybe, but it's like, you yeah. know, so I'm just gonna say. You know, and there's been a lot of stuff recently. I don't know what I've done to anybody, but apparently there are a lot of these these kind of sites that are what do you yes. call them? They're parody or they're satire, satire sites. Oh. But people don't realize that they can be harmful. Oh yeah, Whippy, that sure sounds like the sort of thing that somebody who is best friends with Jeffrey Epstein would say. Hmm. This whoopee down there on the island with all that. I don't think so, actually. There are fake lists. I can't believe I have to agree with the view today. I don't think Whoopi was on Jeffrey Epstein's island and did weird stuff with Jeffrey Epstein. I agree with Sonny Hostin when she says that just because you're named in the documents doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. That's true. You could, your name could pop up and you could just be referenced by one of the many powerful and important people that Jeffrey Epstein knew. So, you know, yes, we went and got a sandwich at uh, some rich, famous guy's house. But the rich, famous guy never went to the island, never went to the townhouses, never got weird massages from the girls, whatever. I mean, even people have made a big deal about Alan Dershowitz, the Harvard law professor, very famous American lawyer and Harvard professor. uh, And they've insinuated that he was a client of Jeffrey Epstein or something like that. I don't really see evidence for it, actually. I know it's unpopular to say, but I, I tend to give Professor Dershowitz the benefit of the doubt. Why? Dershowitz was Epstein's lawyer. Epstein had a lot of money. People who are accused of crimes with a lot of money hire the very best lawyers. Alan Dershowitz is one of the very best lawyers in the country. Alan Dershowitz did go visit uh, Jeffrey Epstein's places. That's, that's the sort of thing that a lawyer does to his clients. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's totally impossible, but I, I agree. There are, there are people in Jeffrey Epstein's orbit who probably didn't do anything particularly wrong. At least there's a reason for Alan Dershowitz to go see Jeffrey Epstein. Why is Prince Andrew seeing Jeffrey Epstein? (laughs) Okay, why are are some of these other really powerful political and financial and business figures going to see Jeffrey Epstein? They're the ones who need to explain it. But to Whoopi's point and to to the whole view segment, 
It's hard to believe what's on the list. The testimony that's come out is just what someone says, and maybe that's credible, but maybe it's not credible, and it was a long time ago. I don't care. I'm, I might be the only conservative in America who doesn't particularly care who is on the Epstein client list, because I am much more interested in who Jeffrey Epstein was working for. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I'll sell it, say it till I'm blue in the face. I think who is on the Jeffrey Epstein list is a little bit of a distraction. Yes, the bad people who are doing bad things on the island should be brought to justice. They almost certainly never will. We'll probably never learn their names. Uh, But yeah, in a perfect world, I'd like them to be brought to justice. It is much more politically relevant for us to know what this operation was in service of. It was clearly some kind of intelligence gathering operation. The guy had cameras and microphones all around his homes. He saved files. We know this from testimony. He saved files of so-and-so with some young girl, you know, in the massage room over here. He labeled the CDs and he had compromise on very, very powerful and important people. Again, whose names we likely don't know. And then we know that the FBI went in and raided his place and then a safe went missing. And it just coincidentally would appear to have been the safe with all of that evidence in it. I want to know what was this about? Was Epstein working for himself? Was that what it was in service of, just to get rich? Was he working in service of a foreign intelligence agency? We know that Ghislaine Maxwell's father was probably a a triple spy. The the British spy agency, MI6, for whom he worked, also thought that, that that Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, was working for Israeli intelligence. That one seems pretty clear. And Russian intelligence, possibly, the KGB. I don't know. We know that Jeffrey Epstein, forget about the foreign intelligence, we know Jeffrey Epstein was connected to American intelligence from the testimony of Alex Acosta, the U.S. attorney who prosecuted him, who then was up for labor secretary under Trump. That's, yeah, ooh, I I don't know, is Whoopi Goldberg like a a surprise sexual deviant? I I don't know, I guess she could be. I don't really think she is. I think that's all a distraction. And and I think it's pointless anyway to even inquire into it because we're not going to get those names. They're always going to just, they're always going to, pull the rug out from under us. The thing we have a better chance of figuring out, the thing that's much more politically relevant, what was the Epstein spy sex ring for? You got to start 2024 off right and join the fight to take back our culture. Here at The Daily Wire, we've got some incredible things lined up for you this year, like the hilarious Mr. Burcham, our first ever animated series featuring an all-star cast, including Adam Carolla, Roseanne Barr, Megyn Kelly, and more. Plus, our highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle, and the 2024 election will be one of the most pivotal in our country's history. The Election Wire is your source of truth, bringing you everything from the campaign trail to the debates and election day. And for our younger audience, Daily Wire Plus members now can unlock our brand new kids app, Bent Key, at no additional cost. And of course, you'll be the first to see Snow White and the Evil Queen featuring Brett Cooper exclusively on Bent Key. In 2024, your Daily Wire Plus membership will give you more of me, which should be enough for you. You'll also get Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Andrew Clavin, Jordan Peterson, PragerU, and that is just the beginning. This will be the Daily Wire's biggest year ever, but we need your support. Join the fight to reshape and take back our culture today at dailywire.com slash subscribe. My favorite comment yesterday, or on Friday, I suppose, is from Devin Rossi, who says, since we won't be gathered here on the 6th, I just want to wish everyone an early happy National Guided Tour Day. Mm, Yes, and a happy one to you as well. Speaking of pedophiles, Jim Gaffigan took the stage at the Golden Globes last night. It was a mixed bag of of an awards show. I certainly didn't watch the whole thing. I saw some of the clips going around. 
it it was worse even than usual. But there were a few bright spots, including Jim Gaff again, who probably had the funniest line of the night. The Golden Globes. I mean, I I can't even believe I'm in the entertainment industry. I can't. I, you know, it's so unlikely. I'm from a small town in Indiana. I'm not a pedophile. <laughs> you know? It's funny because it's true. <laughs> that's, that's what's funny about it. And it, it didn't totally kill. They weren't all just dying of laughter there. They weren't dead silent either, though. It was just the sort of thing they could chuckle about because they know that there is a pronounced pedophile problem in Hollywood. Especially as a mackerel snapping papist, you know, there was this awful sex scandal with these pederast priests who were molesting boys, and uh, it, it became international news for decades, which rightly should be. The priests should be routed out, of course. But the thing that was unjust about it is that uh, Catholic priests are no more likely than the clerics of any other religious group to engage in that kind of pedophilic sexual uh, assault. It, it was no more. It was most pronounced, and the attacks on religion te- in our civilization tend to be on the Catholic Church, which is the 2,000-year-old pillar of, of the faith. So, you know, even in Hollywood, we live in a Protestant country, so-called, but every Hollywood depiction of someone going in for a really intense religious confession, it's always in a Catholic confessional. They're always talking to priests. They're always, it, it tends to come back to that. So even though other uh, religious Christian denominations and other religious groups had it at a similar rate, uh, the Catholics got the brunt of it. But what was even more unjust was that, put the religious groups aside, public school teachers are multiples times more likely to molest children than any of the religious groups in the United States, Catholic certainly included. The public school teachers, because they're a favorite of the liberals, they get totally off the hook. And then beyond the public school teachers, you've got Hollywood, which has a major pedo problem. And they all know it, including the attendees at the Golden Globes. Perfect delivery. And the delivery was so calm. And this this is something that I think is actually a helpful lesson in politics. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a little liberal and gets really, you know, exacerbated by politics. Said, Michael, how are you so calm about politics? And I, I think there's a, a bell curve in terms of political knowledge and experience that will determine whether you are calm or crazy. The people who don't know anything about politics, who have no idea what's going on, they never read a newspaper. They Well, if you read a newspaper, you probably don't know what's going on either. But, you know, they're just totally disengaged. They're very calm. Of course, they don't have anything to get crazy about. Then, when you start reading the papers a little bit, you know, and you start paying attention to some of the corruption in our politics, and you start noticing that the guardrails might not hold that well, and our institutions are, are crumbling around us, you, you start to get kind of crazy. You start pulling your hair out, 
And then when you keep reading all that stuff, but you also read how politics has worked for all of human history and you start reading, you start reading history a little bit and you start reading political philosophy and you start recognizing that, that some of these problems just appear to be intractable in a fallen world and they get better and worse and they often come in cycles. And even when you got a really good time for a few decades, the bad times are on the way there, you start to get calm again. It, this stuff has happened. Even the most horrific kind of stuff, you know, the stuff that Jim Gaffigan is joking about at the Golden Globes, or the the massive massive corruption going on at the highest levels of the federal government, you say, yeah, this has all happened before. Got to fix it. Got to do our. We got to do our level best to fix it. But this isn't unprecedented. This isn't totally shocking. This is actually kind of how the world works. And had had we just opened our eyes and allowed ourselves to dispel the propaganda and just see clearly what's really going on, we could have expected it. A lot of people don't want to believe that our country could could decay in the same way that every great empire has ever decayed. They don't want to admit that. If there's a riot at a shopping mall, it has to be an alien invasion. Not ours, not our country, no way. Uh, Maybe every, every other empire and nation, not us. No, us too. We can maybe turn it around, but we've got to be honest first. We've got to see the truth first. Now, speaking of guys who are really good at this, guys who are really, really good at just staying calm, cool, collected, seeing a little bit ahead of the curve and acting on the political sphere and having good effect. Chris Rufo. Probably the fa- there were other people behind it, but Chris Rufo is the leading figure in the movement to oust Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, because she was a plagiarist. The real reason is because she said that it was okay to call for the genocide of the Jews during a congressional testimony, but that's what weakened her. They still weren't going to totally throw her out. The plagiarism scandal cropped up. As as an academic matter, that's actually a more egregious scandal. Rufo claims the scalp. The president of Harvard's gone. And now everyone's going after Rufo. And, And my favorite attack on this guy comes from within Harvard. Because Chris Rufo, he, he graduated from Georgetown. That's where he went to college. And then later on, he got a, a degree at the Harvard Extension School. And the Harvard Extension School is one of the schools of Harvard, but it's kind of like the night school, you know, or the online school. It's the one where you go and you can take some classes, and it's certainly non-traditional. But it's a school of Harvard University. You get a Harvard University degree at the end of it. Now the libs are attacking him, and they're saying he doesn't have a real Harvard degree. It's just from that that extension school. That's the fake Harvard degree. And this is such a perfect story. It's it's so classic Chris Rufo. It's so, I don't know, it's so leftist in a way. It's so clever in, in how Chris has now put his opponents in an impossible situation because either they have to admit that Harvard degrees can be worthless. We were told that a Harvard degree is the most important and impressive thing ever. All the big fancy libs who run everything, they all have Harvard degrees, and they say that that is one of the credentials that shows why they ought to run the entire country. Well, hold on. You've just admitted either that a Harvard degree can be worthless, or you've got to admit that Chris Rufo has the same degree that you guys have. (laughs) And so he is worthy of the same respect that you have. Which is it? Uh, mm, I don't either... What's funny is the actual answer is both of them, which is Harvard degrees are increasingly worthless, all of them, not just the extension school, but all of them. And uh, also, Chris Rufo is worthy of much more respect than, you know, the the right-wingers who are actually trying to uh, help resuscitate the country are worthy of much more respect than the libs with all of their fancy degrees who have destroyed it. 
So you actually can have both. But right here, what are the libs going to give up? The prestige of Harvard or the ability to marginalize prominent right-wingers? Which one are they going to give up? Oh, they don't want to give up either. Really, they've got to give up both. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.